Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcasts. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Good morning, Bethlehem Covenant Church. Thanks so much for joining us here on this March 3rd. Uh, We are four weeks away from Easter. We have entered into March. Um, I hope you are doing well and uh, that your week was good. Uh, Mine was. I had a good time with family. Had good... uh, we had many different ministry opportunities, small groups and youth groups and uh, chances to connect during the week and always good to be with God's people. Uh, also had some uh, really neat uh, men's retreat over the last couple days uh, called Life Relaunch and some of us guys had a chance to share uh, with each other and encourage one another in the Lord and it was uh, it was really good as well. Good to be with the guys. Um, we are right in the middle of our Lent season, so we have these in the back if you don't have one. Um, we've put them now on Facebook and on our church email and website, but they're just a daily devotion uh, for you, a scripture every day, plus some space to kind of write a little bit about what this is speaking to you on and, and what, it, uh, what the Bible is saying about who we are in Christ. And this will lead us all the way up until Easter. And then on every Sunday within this devotional, there is a short little uh, activity and a little more of a reflection given. And we have uh, crosses here that are in uh, little bags in the entranceway that you can take. And within the bag also is little items to put on that cross every week, counting down to Easter. So we put a purple cloth on there, we put out a nail, put a little dice, remembering that the soldiers, uh, you know, bartered for his clothing, put out little coins, knowing that he was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And so those are all in the bag for you. It's something for you and your family. Um, Put on your kitchen table to remember uh, what Jesus has done for all of us and to spend a little time with him during this Lenten uh, and uh, Easter season. I hope that you will do that. Um, Getting into our scripture for today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Matthew 16, I'm going to begin on verse 13 and go to 27. So Matthew 16, 13 to 27. It says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, other Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or maybe one of the prophets. What about you, he said? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. 
Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but only human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and He will reward each person according to what they have done. It is four weeks until Easter. Uh, This morning and each of the Sundays coming during Lent, I will be looking at a different stop on the way to Jerusalem where Jesus is headed from this point on. He knows it is his time to go to that cross. And so from this point in the text on, he begins to head towards Jerusalem. Today, our scripture finds him in Caesarea Philippi, the furthest city away from Jerusalem. Next week, we'll look at Jericho and then Bethany. We're getting closer to Jerusalem each time. And then on Palm Sunday, we'll look at the Mount of Olives. It's the hill that leads right to Jerusalem. And then finally, Holy Week is Jerusalem, where we will look at when Jesus cleansed the temple ate the Last Supper, was crucified, buried, and resurrected. These final weeks leading up to the cross becomes Jesus' final tour, you could say. And each stop he makes along the way, he does or he says something very important. And I want to point them out to us. Today we are looking at the time when Jesus and his disciples are in Caesarea Philippi. Like I said, it is the most furthest away city. If you were to look at a map of the ancient world there, you would find that Caesarea Philippi is the northernmost part of Israel. I mean, it is actually almost outside of Israel. When we go to the ruins of Caesarea today, it takes almost a two-hour bus drive Uh, from Galilee to get to it. It's a long way up there. If you were walking it like those disciples and Jesus would have done, boy, it would have been a long journey. From Caesarea, you can see Lebanon. It's just a few hundred yards away, just over uh, a little hill. Back in Jesus's time, Caesarea Philippi was a pagan city. There were some Jews living in it, but mostly Gentiles. And the Jews that did live there had all but lost their Jewish identity, swallowed up by the world. They were becoming more Roman and thinking and acting like the Greeks and the Romans and, and even worshiping the gods of the world. I want to show you a couple photos here. Uh, this first photo is of some of the ruins of Caesarea Philippi today. This next photo I want to show you, you can see in it, it's the ruins of where the great temple to Pan was. In Jesus' day, Caesarea Philippi was the center of pagan worship and had been for over 300 years. 
It is where people went to worship. And this is where people worshipped Baal. It's also where they worshipped Pan. And Pan was a Greek god. Half man, half goat, danced around with a flute. Weird stuff. Worshippers who came to Caesarea participated in detestable things in worship. Often sexual. But they believed Pan would give them fertility and good crops and riches. This is a photo of what the temple looked like now. Um, back in Jesus' day, a description of it. Notice that there is a cave behind part of the temple on the left. That is important. If we, if we go back to the photo of how it looks today, you can see there's the cave, the same cave. Now, I mention all of this and show you these photos because this cave was where they offered human sacrifices to Pan and other gods, and they often offered their children. This all may seem so evil and strange to us today. It is. But this was the world when Jesus lived. Many gods to believe in. Many evil practices and ideas that threatened to swallow up God's people. Well, this cave at that time in Caesarea Philippi was believed to be the gate to the underworld. That's why they gave up human sacrifices in it. Some in Jesus' day even called this cave the gates of hell. Jesus is standing at the gates of hell when he is telling his disciples in our scripture that upon them he's going to build his church and they are going to go forth into all of the world with the good news and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. Jesus brought them way up to this very spot, to this furthest away point, to the closest that he could take them to the Roman world. He is on the border. He's on the very doorstep to the ends of the earth where he is going to send them beyond. He took them there to show them this. And remember that Jesus is God in the flesh. He is standing in the city at the center of pagan worship, a world that was all lost and did not know him, searching for God in all the wrong places, sacrificing children even to a half-goat man kind of thing, and bowing before something that is satanic. And it is in this setting when Jesus asks the question, who do people say that I am? And it's not just Jesus saying, who do people say that I am? It is the God of the universe. It is the great I am saying it, who took on flesh, the Holy One, the Creator, the Almighty, who always was and is and is to come, who made these people, who made this world. It is the great I am asking the question, who do people say that I am? This is how far the world had gotten away from God, he's saying. The world that Abraham and his descendants were supposed to go out and influence, to be a light among the Gentiles, to let all the surrounding nations know who God is. This was their task to, to reveal him. But instead of being a shining light for a world in the darkness, they had let the darkness in. 
The gods of this nation, the ignorance of the evil world was now entering their own hearts and shaping their own minds about him. Darkness was creeping and clouding over. And looking around, they could see it, how bad it had gotten. And it may have appeared that the gates of hell were winning. Do you ever feel that the gates of hell are winning? Maybe sometimes God has to take us out of our little bubble in Galilee and bring us to Caesarea Philippi to remind us just how bad things have gotten down here and how much a world desperately needs him. For me, I live most days in church world. I spend most of my hours with church people doing church things. And I love this life and calling. And I'm not saying that church people and church world is perfect. Far from it. We all got our problems. But now and again, the Lord will take me to a place to show me the hell that many live in. And how bad the world has gotten. The brokenness of life that we all maybe experience in some ways. But so many live with day in and day out. There is war, poverty, and oppression, and evil out there. There is human trafficking, and corruption, and greed. Children without parents, and homes that don't protect them, but abuse them. There's dangerous teaching shaping minds, and false prophets spreading lies, and a world of religions bowing before false gods. And we deceive ourselves today into thinking all religions are the same. Just a different way to worship the same God? No, they aren't. It is a false God they worship. For the Bible makes it clear there's only one God. And Jesus made it clear there's only one way to him. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so whether their God is money or power, or lust, or Allah, or one of a thousand Hindu gods. It is a false god that, like a strange goat man thing, still plays his flute and leads people into the gates of hell. And as he plays, we follow. This is the context, the setting in Caesarea Philippi. This is why Jesus takes his disciples this far north before he journeys towards the cross. He wants them to see the world he is sending them out into and how much it needs him. He begins his final journey by taking him to the furthest away place, to the center of pagan worship, to the very gates of hell. And there he asks them, who do people say the Son of Man is? common name for the Messiah. And they reply with many things they have heard. But then Jesus looks right at them and he says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And when Peter says, you're the Messiah, you are the son of the living God. He is saying that Jesus is the savior sent by the father the one true God. Peter is confessing his faith in the one true God, 
revealed to us in Christ. He is making that statement right in the middle of a world of many gods. And this is a joyful moment because he is able to finally see Jesus for who Jesus really is. That is why Jesus says to him, Blessed are you, Peter. You can see the truth of who I am. And this wasn't revealed to you by man, but by God himself. And then Jesus tells him, You are now Peter, and upon you I'm going to build my church. From this moment, he's saying, it all begins. From this one believer will come many. From this one confession of faith, many will come to put their faith in me. From this starting point today, which may not seem like much in a massive world of evil, it may seem insignificant to the world, this band of disciples, this ragtag group of men, I mean, what can they do? But Jesus is saying, you're going to do much. For by his Spirit at work within them, they're going to be a powerful force in the world how he is going to turn the evil tide around. Jesus said to them, I'm going to give you the keys to heaven. In other words, you're going to lead people away from the gates of hell to the kingdom of heaven. You're going to open up a whole new life for them with God. You're going to play a different kind of flute, one that leads them to life instead of death, one that will rescue people out of this pit of darkness and into his wonderful light, out of hell and into heaven. Jesus is saying, this is what I'm going to do through you. You're going to be my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. I don't know if you realize this, but when you gave your life to Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were not only saved out of the depths of hell, but in that moment, you became part of a movement. A movement that began way back with Peter. A movement that began, that God began in the hearts of men and women. You became part of a song that will hopefully lead others to the Lord that is the different kind of flute. Not seduced by the false guides of the world, gods of the world leading them down into a pit of darkness, but instead drawing them to the light of the Lord. And even if it is just you going forth in the love of Christ and in the compassion of Christ, even that is a new song. For others to hear. Even if it's just praying for the people in your life. Even just by living by faith and hope and love at your home. Reading the word and teaching Christ to your kids. And sharing him with your neighbor. You're a part of the solution. A movement that began on that day. The saving. The different song that's playing. Every time you share your story of what God has done for you, of the hope that you found in Jesus, of the forgiveness of sins, of the cross and of the resurrection and the life everlasting and how you came to believe in Him. Every time you walk in the light and you share the light with your co-workers or inviting your neighbors to church, in all of this you are a part of a different song that is playing that God is doing of drawing all people to him, away from the gates of hell to the gates of the kingdom of heaven.
That's why he took them to Caesarea. Three things I want to point out in this scripture for you to think about. One, this is the first time the word church is used in the Bible. The Greek word is ecclesia, and it literally means a called gathering or assembly of people. A congregation congregating. A group of people coming together with a common belief and purpose. Church. In Ephesians, Paul speaks of how, about how, what the church is and how we each have been called by the Lord personally and how he has made himself known to us and how we have put our faith in him. And at our baptism, we are instantly included and now welcomed into a people, the people of God. The New Testament doesn't just talk of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that is disconnected from our communal relationship with Christ. They are to go together. The moment we believe in Christ personally, we are joined to a people that believe in him. And that is where we live out our faith. Church. He says in Ephesians 2.19, we are fellow citizens with God's people and a member of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as our chief cornerstone, he says, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple where God dwells. The Bible says that the Lord doesn't just dwell inside of you, but in his people, in the church as a whole. He lives among us and is revealed when we gather together. This is what Jesus is saying in our scripture, that we enter through faith in Christ, and it began with the apostles, the foundation of the church being laid, and is now being built up all over the world, his spirit living within thousands and now millions for generations. The church becomes now the new temple of God. A temple not made of wood or of stone, but a temple that lives in the heart of his people who all believe in him as the Son of God, our Savior, and seek to follow him and live for him. The people of God are the new temple. So the church, you see, is not a building, nor is it a one-hour program on Sundays. We don't go to church. We are the church living out in the world today. We gather together for worship. We encourage one another or pray or serve or teach. We have a building that we meet in. But the church is a people. It's the people of God. Which is terrific. Because it means that if you move away from this place, or you decide you don't like us anymore and go looking for a different group of believers to worship with, you are able to find the church there too. The people of God, the followers of Christ, your brothers and sisters who live in every city and have every language. It's so important as a Christian to be a part of the church, to be an active part. I love Romans 12, 3 to 5, where it says, By the grace of God given me, I urge you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought. For just as each of us has one body with many parts, and each part has a different function, so too in Christ we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We belong to each other. The Lord saves each of us, and then immediately puts us in relationship with other believers. 
to grow up and to serve and to edify and to be accountable to. It's the idea of family. And similarly, we are born physically into a biological family. And in a similar way, we are spiritually born into a family as well. We are not our own. We belong to Christ and to his church. We're to serve one another, love one another, encourage and challenge one another in the Lord. We have a collective mission and purpose and place. This is the first time the word church is used in the Bible. And it is used by Jesus as he shares his vision with his apostles. Second, this is the first time that Jesus calls Simon Peter. There are times in the Bible when God changes people's names, when he changed people's lives. Abram, for example, is now changed to Abraham, signifying that he would be a father to nations. Jacob, God changed his name to Israel because he was a man who wrestled with God, and from him would come a people who wrestles. Saul, would become Paul when he was moved from a Pharisee to a Gentile missionary. From this moment on, Simon the fisherman will be forever known as Peter the Apostle. Peter is Petra in the Greek, and it means rock. And Peter is going to be the one who will lead this band of disciples after Jesus is gone. He's going to be the one who stands up among the disciples and preaches and leads them. Jesus gives Simon a new name with his new purpose and identity. He's not a fisherman anymore. He's now an apostle. There are times in our life that mark a significant change. We move from a child to an adult or from a single person to a husband or a wife and sometimes take a new name. When we become a father and mother, we have a new identity. Or the opposite is sometimes true. We were married and now become single again, either because of divorce or widowed. We were a parent of a child at home, but now are empty nesters. We change jobs. We take on a new identity. No longer a teacher or an accountant. We become something different. We retire and we take on something different. There are times when our parents die and now we become the oldest generation. We move and become a Canadian. or We come back and we become an American. Well, I'd like to ask you an important question today. Have you ever accepted your new identity in Christ? You are not a Methodist or a Lutheran or a Baptist, nor is your faith just some small little part of you, like a hobby. I would say that your relationship with God in Christ is the most defining part of who you really are. You're more than just a farmer or being an Olson or being an American or a Husker fan, more than any of that. You are a child of God. You are saved by the blood of Christ our Lord who died for us and rose again. We have a new identity in Him. We have a new position before God. A whole new outlook on the world and life and everything. We have a whole new mission statement. We are a new creation. Don't be defined by anything less. Jesus said, you are more than a fisherman, Simon. You are my apostle, Peter. 
You're more than a citizen of America. More, you are now a citizen of heaven and part of the kingdom of God. You are more than a fireman, a teacher, a nurse, a pastor, a teenager, or just a short kid who did an embarrassing thing, or this regrettable mistake or failure. You are more than your sins. You are more than the bad things that have happened to you. You are a child of God, created by Him and for Him, saved by the blood of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, and sent out now to make a difference. To do great things for God. You are loved. You are a light shining in the darkness. You are His. So the question you have to think about is. Is this who you see yourself as? Have I taken off my old self. And truly put on the new self. Created to be like Him. Am I still living my old life? Or my new identity? For in Christ we're no longer the same. Third thing and last. This is the first time Jesus mentions that he is going to die and rise again. Jesus tells his disciples exactly what is going to happen. In verse 21 it says that he tells them he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to suffer at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Jesus knows everything that is coming. He knows one of them is going to betray him. He knows it's going to be a cross. He knows it'll be the third day when he rises. And he tells them all of this. And it says that he tells them it must happen this way. He must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer. He must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Must. Jesus knew that this was the only way to truly save us from our sins. He was the Lamb of God come down to lay down His life for ours and then overcome the grave that we might have everlasting life. This must happen as foretold. But when Jesus mentions it, Peter, newly saved Peter, fights back. He says, Jesus, I'll never let this happen to you. We're going to fight. We're going to protect you. And most likely, Peter thinks he's being a leader in this moment. <laughs> he is courageous and going to lead these disciples to storm the gates of hell and overcome Rome and those who all oppose the Messiah. He is, you know, in his understanding of the Old Testament and, and how this was all going to go down and what the Messiah was about in his own understanding, the Messiah was going to lead a rebellion in a war against Rome and all who stood in God's way. He was going to bring peace to the earth and, and kingdom that is ushered in through a great victory. And so Peter's assuming he knows what's supposed to happen here. That is, And so as the newly appointed leader in general that, that Jesus has said, he's ready to fight. He's saying, don't worry, Jesus. That's never going to happen to you. We won't let you die. But Jesus replies to Peter, the guy he has just affirmed as the rock, he now says to him, get behind me. Satan. Peter goes from rock to Satan in just a moment in time. <laughs> just like us believers, man, we can be sold out for Christ and then in the next moment just be totally walking in a wrong way. Believers who also can be misguided. Even us pastors and leaders can think we know what God wants and when truth is God wants something completely different. Jesus says to Peter, you don't have in mind the things of God right now. You don't understand. 
I must go to the cross for your sake and this world's sake. And, when, and then it's, he doesn't even give Peter maybe a moment most to think about that before he adds this tiny little thing. He says, and you, for whoever comes after me, whoever wants to be my disciple, they too are going to have to deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. This is the way, Peter. Drop your sword and pick up the cross if you really believe in me. Because this is the way. To follow me isn't going to be about saving your life. It's going to be about laying down your life. Are you willing to go there, Peter? Are you ready to give up everything to follow me, Peter? And I would ask you, how about you? Are you ready to give up everything to follow Jesus today? To find your soul identity in Him? Ready to start living for eternal things? Willing to go wherever He sends you and give whatever He asks of you? He may not send you to Africa, but just across the street to share your faith. Are you willing to go those 20 feet? He may not call you to speak to thousands or even to a martyr's death. But he may call you to love your spouse unconditionally and to serve her in a way that puts her above yourself. He may call you to take care of your mother or befriend a lonely old man or to choose a less paying job that will have a greater impact for the kingdom. The Lord who carried a cross for you may even ask you to carry a heavy one too, to go through a suffering where he will help you and shine through you that another might see. He may ask you to stand up for him in a way that could cause you to lose a job or friends or social status. Will you love him more than all of these things? And I would say don't be afraid because he will be with you through everything he asks of you. And what you receive from him will be so much more than anything this world has to offer. But you're going to have to trust him, believe in him, and follow him in this new adventure. It all begins when we hear him say to us, Who do you say that I am? Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date on all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, head to bccwaverly.org.